I was looking outside the window. I saw a car there. I said, oh, Dad, there's a car outside there. My dad said, okay, to be a good artist, someday you'll be able to be in a car. Print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the fields of print media and multiples. Hello, Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. If you're looking to add some pizzazz to your practice, check out their new line of additive glitter. Add a sprinkle of their additive glitter to any Speedball fabric screen printing ink to bring a touch of shimmer to your next design. This additive glitter can be used in nearly any ratio, whether your sparkling vision is more subtle or dripping with scintillating shine. Check out the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion Paper is a fine art paper company representing the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of papers Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. This is a special episode, Print Friends. It was recorded while I was in residence at the Institute for Electronic Arts at Alfred University. This is the third and final in a three-part deep dive into the Institute through the artists who teach at the university and an exploration into the ways in which technology intersects with contemporary printmaking. My guest this week is Xiao Wen Chen. We talk about growing up in China during the Cultural Revolution when all of the art schools were closed and being a part of the very first class let back in on the other side. The culture shock of coming to the U.S. for his MFA, how he got into using digital media in his practice, AI art, and talking teaching techniques with Anne Hamilton. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to go digital with Xiaowen Chen. Hi, Xiaowen. How's it going? I'm doing fine, yeah. Yeah, thank you for taking some time out of your day to chat with me. Well, I've been looking forward, actually, now. Oh, good. Yeah, Yeah, me too, me too. I feel like we've had a lot of mutual friends for a lot of years, and so now we finally get a chance to sit down and get to know each other. This has been great. So it's been wonderful to see some of your work in person, too, so thank you for bringing it in. And before we get going with the official interview, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves just by saying who you are, where you are, what you do. Yeah, I originally came from China and came here to study printmaking, being grad school in Illinois. So now now I've been teaching at Alfred since 1996, Um, primarily teaching printmaking. So I'm a printmaker. I do know my studio practice, I do paint making drawings, video, interactive installations. But as far as the teaching goes, I pretty much teach all level of printmaking at Alfred. I also work with the grad students in digital media. Yeah. Yeah. And so you said that you grew up in China. Where in China did you grow up? In Manchuria, <laughs> yeah, in the north. In the north, yeah. Yeah, in the north, in Xinjiang, industrial city. Mm. So my memory of that city is, you know, of course, winter is very cold, yeah, colder than here, but also it's very smoky, mm-hmm. dirty industrial city. I guess, I guess all industrial town has that kind of a feel of a smell. But yeah, so I grew up you know, in the north part of China, but my father's size was the, the from north, from south. So mm. I'm part of a south and north mixture. <laughs> you cannot tell different, but like lots of people, Chinese, they see, my, they see me and say, oh, you must have some kind of a gene from the south, you know, yeah. and the north. 
Yeah. And what role did art have in that part of your life growing up in an industrial city? That's very interesting. A very good question, by the way. I timed in China, in the north of China, there wasn't any exhibition or gallery system at all. So very hard for artists you know, because there's nothing. There's no avenue. There's no opportunity mm. to show your work. There was only perhaps one time of year, one opportunity per year to send your work into the show, which is organized by government, mm-hmm. you know, Chinese government. Not to see like not necessarily to be bad show, but show you have a certain kind of theme, often to be kind of propaganda mm-hmm. theme. But the problem is not only one show, national or local exhibition you can apply, send your work in, and that's it. Now whether you get in or not get in, then you you have nothing to do until next year, right? <laughs> so we do make art, but not necessarily make art to make a body of work mm-hmm. to show. There's a theme, then you think about that theme, you come up with idea to make work corresponding to the theme of that show. So there's no such thing of a body of your personal work. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, it's like it's it's a call that fits an existing idea. Yes, you, yes, you make exactly, work for it. exactly. So how did you know that you were going to be an artist or that you wanted to be an artist as a young person? Well, it's a personal story and a public story, but it's not public, but public story. The personal story, I always like to draw, there's mm-hmm. no doubt. Especially during the Cultural Revolution, during that 10 year of a Cultural Revolution, was very dangerous to be outside because then you start having people have a gun or fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And you had then later on have a gunsters you know, on the street. So my my parents decided to lock me in a in an apartment mm. when they go out to work. Mm-hmm. I guess you no, know, maybe many other people would do that too. But definitely, I have to be locked in the house. Fortunately, never have a fire yeah. <laughs> in the building. I was just thinking that so I have to, don't have to jump out the window. So. It's, but also at that time, there was no school. During the couple of years into a cultural revolution, and there wasn't even school, or school closed. So only way to entertain myself is to make a drawing, mm, or mm-hmm. comic book. So I, yeah, so I drew a lot when I was like young. And of course, you know, and there wasn't art school to go. Right. I wasn't. I wasn't really thinking about go to art school at all. I just like make art because I like. And because when the, I was looking outside the window, I saw a car. Just a car, no passenger car, small car outside there. I said, "Oh, Dad, there's a car outside there." My dad said, "Okay." To be a good artist, someday you'll be able to be in a car. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my personal story. I said, okay, so I have that to grow in my mind for now, as long as probably over 10 years before I really go in art school. I said, someday I'm going to be able to, to be in a car. I have to be a good artist. The <laughs> art will get you there. Yeah. Yeah, art, yeah, art can get me to be in a car. Yeah. But anyway, I was in Mongolia now, uh, to work. That's kind of a long story, but I don't want to get into that. You know, well, I can, we can talk about that when I have more time. And so I get a little letter from my parents said, okay, school now, college is opening now, mm-hmm. open. So the, everybody can apply to go to college. And I said, oh my gosh, I would like to apply to come to the art school to study the art. So I sent my portfolio from Mongolia and sent mm. my portfolio all the way to to the young city you know, where, where there's a, one of the best three, one of the three best art schools in China. So I apply and then get accept, accepted. But mm-hmm. then I okay, now I have my you know, door open to be artist now. Yeah. And, yeah. and what school was it that you went to? It's the Lushin Academy mm-hmm. of Fine Arts. Lushin is the name of a very famous Chinese writer. Mm. 
So, yeah. Know, yeah. And then what was that time like in art school as an undergrad for you? As undergrad, uh, was <coughs> it was wonderful, actually, you know, because I, I, the very competitive to be art school at that time. Mm-hmm. So in my, in my year, because it's the first year, college open to young kids. You can apply to get your MFA you know, mm-hmm. or better degree. And uh, so very special moment because only yeah. few people can get in there because school just open. And it must be like and, uh, so many people who've been waiting so many people for this been opportunity. for like uh, 10 years. Yeah. You know? So that's why some of my classmates are 10 years older. Right. Because yeah. they passed that time. <laughs> so then they, they apply when they were 30 years old to compete with our, you know, the younger kids. And you know, I was like 20 years old. So but anyway, it's like the uh, that class is very small. Because they just open, they don't want they, they don't want to open to get too many students. And so we have like a fifty six of our class, only fifty six in mm. entire our school. Fifty six is large, you know, for some uh, school here. But if we think about that's a, one of the three best art school, yeah. like Chicago Art, in, art Institute, but only a separate fifty three. But like ten thousand people, no, no, let me see. Yeah, like a, yeah, ten thousand people or or hundred thousand people. I forgot applications, you know, and only select fifty six. So because of that, I'm not bragging, but because of that, we're very competitive. When we get in school, we really appreciate the time we are there. Yeah, really, because it's so special, almost like oh my, I can't believe you know I have this opportunity. So everybody work very hard. We compete, friendly compete each other. So every morning we would wake up at six o'clock, go out to make one painting, right? <laughs> no study before even come back for breakfast, no. Mm. So very rigid, no. There's only few book in the library, so because only few book, no. We read each book, read each book three, four times. No? Of course, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a resource very small. There's a very limited resource. But the faculty are, uh, and students get close, very, very close because, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like a, a ratio is like one faculty to a student, mm-hmm. you know, that ratio. Yeah. But, you know, the other part of that, you know, the uh, very rigid like in terms of academic training. At that time, uh, our education in China followed the kind of model developed in Russia and mm-hmm. uh, Paris. So we have a Paris school a French school and a Russian school. Hmm. Together, we make our own Chinese school uh-huh. <laughs> based on those two schools. Yeah. So very academic, no, very academic, uh, figurative. Yep. Yeah, very rigid. Yeah. Yeah. And how many years were you there? Four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, did you know you wanted to go on in school? Did you do that right away? The, uh, at that time, there, there wasn't graduate school at that time. Yeah. So the BFA is the ultimate degree you can get mm-hmm. in China. So the, uh, we can teach with the BFA. No, mm-hmm. we don't, you don't need MFA to teach. Wow, yeah. And the uh, school, so almost all schools. So, so the lacking of the faculty. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much like a take you know, the one third of a graduate to be a teacher. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so and then I basically instantly, from dorm to dorm, I, from a, <laughs> I moved from a senior student to the, the senior professor. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a couple of days, you know. Totally. And so I started to teach in, in our school. And so my first group of my students is of the same age, some few of them older than I was. Mm. And so, yes, yes, start right away to be to teach. Yeah. yeah. And so, during the the ten years that the schools were closed, did you have a feeling that they were going to open up again at some no. point? So you no, you didn't know. Nobody knew that. So you just yeah. you were people who were making art were like not making it necessarily with this goal. Well, when yeah. schools open back up, I'm going to yeah. have this portfolio. You just had to make. Because you need to make. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you make it because you enjoy it. Yeah. There's no school, no even job line up yeah. with what you're doing there. 
perhaps you know you probably can be making art for gov- government at a certain mm-hmm. point, but there's not like a design the job, you know. Yeah. You're like a workforce. You get into a workforce is not like that. And right? I would imagine that making work for the government would also be making the commissioned work. Yeah. You know. Yes, so yes. this idea of an artist who has something to say that comes from inside of them no that's no, very personal that. that's not, not that yeah no that. you know once again once you when you grow up in that kind of moment or political moment you almost like never even question you know what's your voice what is the mm. government voice mm-hmm. you just say oh voice <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you're grown up in that situation yeah you, you see that just like a political shadow you see the shadow is the reality right <laughs> <You're okay. laughs> So what kind of work were you doing leading up to being in school then when it was just you? I'm just curious, like, what your application portfolio had in it. Uh, at that time, uh, before you go to school, to, to academically, seriously, to learn, to make art, in, uh, you do kind of a commission work in a sense, uh-huh. kind of propaganda. You could be uh, doing poster. No, I did a lot of poster. I did a lot of comic bookish poster mm-hmm. for political you know, propaganda work to educate yeah. a mass, right? <laughs> so artists becoming a voice, visualize the ideology to educate, to communicate to the, the mass audience. Mm. To be more specifically, if you are working in the manufacturing, you make art to educate a worker. In a sense, you're kind of bridge, right, in between government and the worker or mm-hmm. mass audience. My case, I was in, in a farm in Mongolia. So my audience was all farmer. Mm. So I would make art, go to village to village to show art. But all art is an illustration of political propaganda slogan. Yeah. I mean, good way, no, kind of optimistic. Yep. Mm-hmm. But other time, no, and it can be very brainwash kind mm-hmm. of message, right? And uh, then you, I would take my art and uh, take a wagon, no, <laughs> go to village and set up my art, you no, know, in the in the field, wow, or in the uh, yard, I mean a square, and uh, then a group of farmers would come in, sitting around, and I start to talk about what this picture is about, what that picture is about. And so that kind of art, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of educational, but, you know, political. Yeah, educational, educational. with an agenda. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, that kind of art, so in my portfolio, I have some of that. But also, at that time, I was kind of smart enough to do lots of life study, mm-hmm. like a sketch of people working, farmers you know, working, sketch of a landscape, a sketch of a farmer portraiture. Mm-hmm. I think that portraiture helped me to get in school. Yeah. Because that portraiture have not any political message at all. Just your skill, your observational skill, and your technical skill right. to draw people's portraiture. No, I think that helped me to get into school. Yeah, and it's so, so difficult. Like right. like drawing a face and making it look right. Yes, yeah, that, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of just showing technical skill, I think that would that's, that would that, be helpful as well. That's important. Yeah, when you get to art school, no, the yeah in China at that time they do look at your technical skill mm-hmm. as a as a big plus. Yeah. So when you of course no when uh, I never draw any other you no know, kind of art before getting into art school, then I start to learn to draw. The pastor of you no know, Greek, the natural mm-hmm. face, you no. Know? So this kind of a French school or yes. Russian school. Yeah, very learning. formal. Yeah, formal. yeah, yeah. Very formal, yeah. Yeah, and so when did you discover printmaking? At what point? I know I went to school for printmaking. Oh, okay. So that time you do have major, you no? Know, yeah. Can apply. So I applied. The, for printmaking, but painting and printmaking in the same department at that time. So I concentrated in printmaking, but the fine art, you know, as a major, mm-hmm. like a studio major. So I was doing painting, drawing, and the printmaking. But at that time, printmaking was just woodcut, nothing else, just woodcut for four years. Yeah. So the, but then, of course, you know, 
I have two mentor. One the one of them was in lithography. The other one was trying to set up etching studio for a student. So those two mentor, two professor, keep my open to other technique etching、mm-hmm. and the lithography. So other than stone, no, the other than woodcut. Yeah. But then of course, no, very hard. To make etching there, no, we have to invent, no.、Uh-huh. All the material here we get for granted. There we have to make our own, make our own hard ground, you know, make our own paper. Wow. Yeah. Until one day I said, no, I have to come to America <laughs> to really study <laughs> real etching and lithography. Yeah. So I have to apply to come to grad school here. Yeah.、Right. And so, how did you choose a grad school? Was pretty simple and hard. The first problem I have the head is no, I don't have any American dollar money. No, come、mm-hmm. to grad school, so I have no choice. I just go to went to the local library, state library, and my friend told me a state library have a catalog of all school in America. So I didn't even know that. No, the library I want only few book, but for some reason, perhaps I would say. Public habit will be、uh, giving special thanks to the American consulate or embassy. They may be the kind of agent to give the catalog of our of our school to all the major state library for free, right? Catalogs. So I have to go to look at the catalog, look for number one, look for our school. Number two, look for the school don't require they they have scholarship, yeah, <laughs> or tuition waiver at least, no. Yeah. And so I have no choice. I have to look at ends up to be all state school because state school most likely give tuition scholarships, no private school for sure.、Mm. So I just no make send out no many many applications to see who who would give me scholarships. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was that experience like coming to the United States for the first time? I came here in 1987,、uh-huh. and people know kind of old enough, perhaps have a good memory of what 80s look like, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、Uh, the fabulous,、uh, yeah. just so fabulous. First day arrived, you no, know, and the first week, first year, I thought I was of course I was in heaven, right?、Mm-hmm. In heaven, not just like life, but you know, the freedom. No, the amount of freedom you have,、uh, library you have.、Uh, I remember my first year. I like to go to library to check all the book I can find.、Uh, I like to lie down on the floor <laughs> to read, because in China at that time, before I came to this country, library would have a little window, like a cell, like a prison cell, and you talk to a person behind librarian behind that window. And you ask him what kind of book, and they say we have or we don't have. Then the, you can check out book, and、uh, then write down your name. No, you ha- you have no the, the the access to walk into the bookshelf, or check out from the right, shelf, right?、Yeah. You just do kind of catalog of the the that asking for they give to you, and you can check out for a week. So come here, you can walk in the books, right? You can pick up things. You lie down、mm-hmm. to read there. It's just、uh, this that would happen. Wow! Yeah, yeah and and just the. I mean, I remember from doing the most serious research I've done was in graduate school, and how just getting to walk through the stacks, you would discover something next to the book、yeah. that you'd come for、right. that actually. Holds the information that opens up a whole new thing for you. Why? So it's the ability to just browse in the books is really powerful、yeah. when it comes、oh, to that's research. So powerful! You find so many things you would never even know what exists. No. Yeah. Yeah, you never know they they exist. Another thing can blow my mind is you know the the way of working, making art.、Mm. In China, at that time you have to come up with a very solid idea. Then you make imagery, composition. You you put things together to express that idea. You never make art without any idea at all. 
Mm-hmm. You have to really have a concrete idea to make art. And everything has to be perfect, you know, right? And you probably only, I, would, I was like many of, I was one of many others. You perhaps only make one work a year even, you know, mm. or one work a half a year, maybe five work piece a year. Everything has to figure out, have to be perfect. But come to this country to grad school when you make prints, and I was trying to make everything perfect. And my professor would say, no, just make another one. <laughs> I say, no, I have a problem here. I have to, I have to deal with this problem. Mm-hmm. I keep saying, oh, you can deal with the same problem with the other print. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make everything perfect. You know, if things are not happy, you make the next print to make something you know, to deal with that, to achieve that goal. Oh, so that blew my mind. Oh. Yeah. And until now, I always tell my students in China, just make a bunch of work. Yeah. And then, then you learn from your work. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how, learn how to make art. You make first, then you look at them, you articulate, and you find your direction. You pay attention to what the work tells you. I was thinking too, wondering if it has anything to do with the, sounds like the scarcity a bit of resources right. in the school that you were in in China, where you're having to make your own paper and that sort of thing. Right, so it's like right. when, it, when it comes time to really make something, like you need a plan because right. <laughs> otherwise you have to make your, your whole paper again. Right. Yeah. And then after you graduated, did you go immediately into teaching again once you had your MFA? Of course, you know, I try. I uh-huh. apply for school to teach, apply all the teaching positions I can find. Of course, from CA publications, you know. The first few years was hard for me to, mm. to, to find a teaching job, you know. Even though back in my mind, I said, I'm the best teacher. Of course, oh, yeah. I could be, you know. <laughs> but, you know, people, yeah, it's, I'm from, you know, from different culture. My English wasn't good. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know how to articulate how to teach. Mm. I know how I would teach in real life, but to write down, to talk about verbally, that was hard. No, it was yeah. hard. So I didn't know the first couple of years I wasn't successful to looking for a teaching job. But I found a little, like, uh, I found a position to work at the graphic studio. Hmm. Uh, Uni- University of South Florida. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's the graphic studio is the place, like one of the print print shops or public no, uh, the print press. In the you, you you can you can work there to for to make prints for other artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I apply and get a job to and to to work there to be a master printer. Okay, yeah. So wonderful. I really learned all the technical, you know, sharp my technical skill in etching. So pretty much know everything to mm-hmm. how to make the best professional etching. That was very, very good. Yeah. Very, very ben- you know, I benefit, or the benef- very beneficial. Then they have run into financial problems. Though they have the layoff few people. Mm. I was a younger person, newer person. I was the first one. Had to had had no, lost a job. Yeah. But of course, you know, I, during that time, I was still looking for a teaching job. So you know, did some kind of a one semester adjunct. Finally, you know, found a you know, job here at the Alfred. Also, sabbatical replacement. Joe mm. Shear repla- oh, sabbatical really? replacement. <laughs> For one year, and uh, I like here, and they like me, so I be continue you know, renew the contract for a few e- couple years before they had the tenure opening. So I becoming like a on tenure track, you no know, t- p- professor. Yeah. So I have to say, my wife also reminded me whenever I have a bad day to teach, and he, she always reminded me how much I offered have mm. done to support me. You know? mm. And because you know, this is the only place uh, hired me immediately and when Je- sabbatical, Jesse Sheffer was another primitive professor, senior professor. She's retired. She moved to, to a job at the, the RISD mm. mm-hmm. uh, to be provost, then retired. So I had an interview, a wonderful interview with her. She said, no, 
you got a job, no? Oh, that's great. And my English was terrible, no? Yeah. But she said, we don't need that. Yeah, you can learn yeah. that. Yeah, right. a good so teacher is a good yeah, teacher. So she hired me. And so ever since, no, I had a wonderful time mm. with all the people here, Joe Shear, many other colleagues. Very supportive, supportive. So I offer it just a, the best place. That's lovely. Yeah. And so at what point does digital media and videos and that sort of thing start to come right. into your practice? You know, I, it, it sounds kind of cliche, but, you know, I, the, the fact is the Institute, Joe Shear, Hare, and Jesse, three of them start this Institute. So, of course, they were kind of pioneer into digital media, whether digital printmaking or digital video or digital media, no, now we call. So I was fortunate, no, I mean, so lucky, started to come here to teach the same year. This, they start, started this program yeah. in digital media institution, but institute as well as digital media a division. We have different name for that, but at that time, uh, so we are still, we are we are, we are with other painters, the photographer to be the same mm, division. Then we create a new division called expanded no expanded media. So that was my first year that you're working with Joe Shear and Jesse Sheffer and Pierre Bold, you no, know, and just quickly into digital making and digital video. A little another story is about how I get into digital digital video or video. When we in grad school, one year I was so sick of making the art I know how to make, painting, printmaking. I'm not like oh, I'm so sick. I feel like I I need I don't see myself to have a, some kind of major change, which I do feel desperate. I want you know do something. Uh, have an internal driven force, but I don't know what to do. Yeah, Mm. so I decided one year, one semester, I'm not making any art. So I took a course in directing direction in theater department. So where I have I took a course where I have to write my own play and hire to the uh, theater major. I mean, students in theater, majoring in theater, and uh, to put put the short play, no, to make oh, a short wow. play. So I did, no, yeah. kind of hard, but I made made one short play. And uh, at the same time, I would, you know, I took the uh, film, experimental film class, at that time using Super Eight to make a Super Eight film. You know, kind of cut and open together, all manual, you no, know, physically putting together. And no any software, no any yeah, other yeah. support, just like a real <laughs> hands-on, you know, card paste, card paste, right? Scissors. And so I took it like a direction and the film. Then I you know, took the history of photography, I mean, history of film, actually. That's like a theory course. So when I came, started work here, when they asked pair. Where should I get the? I want to get the film camcorder. I mean, not camcorder, film the camera to. I want to make a film. And he said, No, you should just get into digital you know, video. Mm. And then that's much more you know, practical. And you, you, know, you need to get the you know, video camcorder, tapes. And he showed me the, the, the way they set up. I have a computer working with the Avid editing you know, software. So he had taught me the, to how to make video, you know, digital video use software to do the editing. So I said, oh my gosh, no, that was like a, another new venture, no, new, new, another heaven I'm running into. So from the from there on, I just started making video, make a digital prints. I eventually, I start, no, I'm the first one to start to work with the interactive video. Mm. Actually, I developed the course and taught here, taught first the interactive video at the Alfred. 
as a long before the interactivity becoming everywhere. You know? Yeah, what what does that mean, the interactive video? Couple of things actually. You know, at that time, I was I, I happened to be running into the the conference. The one of the artists and uh, showing his work, make the with the coding, make the video to be interactive with the audience. So that's kind of one something in my mind, but I. Didn't know how to do it. I didn't even, even. I thought it was cool, but I didn't know if I want to do that until the uh, one day. No, some we sometimes we have no, we have a low, have a high, right? Mm-hmm. At the lowest point, at a time, you start make big jump, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The lowest point, and you make big jump. Mm-hmm. So my lowest point at the Alfred is a time I didn't know my future. Because yeah. I was not tenure track, on tenure track, and uh, I was uh, still thinking about to invent my future, whether to teach a different place or to learn something into future, right? My, no, in high school, I was, my, my interest was in physics. Not even, I mean, I, I'm in, I was interested in art and physics and the math. So back in my mind, I always... Now, into now, fascinated by physics, mm. electricity, now, and mag- magnetic field, universe, now. So, yeah, at my low point, and I feel like I need brother thing into art making. The so yeah, but anyway, to be short, one day I was in the Barnes Noble. I was traveling and tired, just get coffee in Barnes Noble. I was looking at a book on the shelf. I found this book. They basically teach you how to work with the director. Hmm. Director at that time was kind of software, but also they have lingo. It's kind of programming. Now you can program and to make things to be a motion graphic, to be interactive. So I was looking open, open. I said, oh my God, this is my future. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought that book. And I taught myself. I learned, you know, learned to write lingo, to, to learn wow, to program, yeah, yeah. you know. And so I, I said, that's not enough. You know? I want to teach a class. It's going to be a future. Mm-hmm. So I have to do something, you know, even though we don't have. Uh, I supported by a chair at that time, Jason Sheffern. So I, I made a proposal to teach this new course called Reactive Digital Media. Mm-hmm. Or reactive video, yeah. And so, that, yeah, that's kind of a in in a way, I know internal driven to look for what future will be look like, mm-hmm. how the art making can be in the future, you know, how our art making will be challenged or be changed by numerous technology going into the future. Yeah, not just technology, but the future, you know. But with the help of technology. Yeah. So that's kind of the driven force. And then my other side of me is I have an interest, always have an interest in physics. Right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, questioning uh, what is the time. <laughs> 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 that sort of thing, you know, kind yes. of ever abstract. Yeah. 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 Then I get into uh, digital media, more specifically interactive interactivities. And the now is the art and technology. Mm-hmm. For the past six years, some more into technology and art. So that's my new future. Mm-hmm. So that to me is bigger than interactivity. And the other thing I've done just be small part of a larger the umbrella. No, I mean the few larger mission or, or interest. Yeah. Well, yesterday I, I got to see a bit of the facilities here. And Eric showed me what some of the technology is capable of in image making. And this idea that you interact with the technology really kind of in the way that you would a paintbrush or an etching plate or something, that it's, it's, a, it's a tool and... It, it has qualities that contribute to the finished output. Right. But 
within that, it's almost infinite possibilities of what you can do. Right. And, you know, you were showing me about, like, cameras that capture images, and then you can loop the image around a donut shape that floats in right. space, and then you can put it through an analog processor. Right. And it, it was just really, really interesting to see the level at which, at this, at this point in 2023, technology can create so quickly right an infinite possibility of images that still all come from a person's vision come from the seed images that are captured and all of that right. and that was really interesting to see right. yeah yeah it's true you know it's almost like if we go back to printmaking for example mm-hmm. uh my excitement the excitement I had when first time when I made my first etching mm-hmm. or first stone lithography is just, just as strong as now. First time I make a video, make a three D printing, or first the print I made with AI, you know. So a similar kind of excitement, mm-hmm. but just uh, in in terms of degree, the same, but in terms of content, you know, a reason. It's different. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, what the, the, all the facility we have here, is, it's a kind of a way we set up uh, trying to, not trying to, of course, and have all the tools you can play with, right? See what happens. This, yeah, yeah. this is always a fun part of that. But also it's part of our belief, you know, Joe's belief, my belief, Eric's belief. So that kind of new tool just like, like etching, like stone lithography, and make you to be in the position you only have half control over, mm, mm-hmm. right? You can make a drawing on stone, on etching. That's the part you can control. But even the fact to reverse the image, you have no control over, right? <laughs> because yeah, the process, yeah. right? Reverse the image. For a long time, I feel a lot uneasy about that. And then accidentally, during the printing, the printing process, the plate-making process, everything can happen. And so you only have so much control over. So in a sense, that's why I like different way, but similar also. I like John Cage, the chance operation. Mm-hmm. In a sense, and, uh, of course, he would mean something different to much of a greater degree. But I, I like to see the permaking process. Permaking is kind of a partially 50% of a chance operation. Now you just give up your control over. And you have to be willing to accept the things you don't know. Is this me? No. Is this what I made? No. Mm. The AI is the same thing. No. Yeah. And the video capture, and uh, you print up, you're going through different process. Uh, and we are so excited to see some things we foresee partially. But overall, we have no idea what's going to be look like. Yeah. So put you in the position. And uh, you kind of relearn, uh, re-understand yourself, right? It kind of sounds like a cliche, but that's make us to be young all the time, right? Totally, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that kind of excitement and that make us feel young all the time, feel something, always something happen unexpectedly. And uh, yeah, the tool, the technology is a tool, but also to me is the other kind of a being and challenge you know, my being and inspire me or just like stimulate me, make my brain to constantly be working, right? Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that, yeah, so yeah, that, that technology is wonderful. Of course, it's kind of a love-hate you know, relationship. Uh-huh. When I do teach my students, especially my students in China, I do have a group of students, and the, I'm not officially a teacher there, but I do have a group of students working now. Kind of, I, I'm, I have been mentored to them. They are in the field, the major in art and technology. Mm. So to work with them, you know, the question I give them most of the time is, you know, to think about the ethics of technology. Yeah. So now, like, now technology is wonderful. You can make this, you can make that. But really think about, you know, in what way the technology, if you're not using well, 
now how not that contributing what they can contribute to our society you no know? not always happy ending mm-hmm. so I, I always have that question first before we even use any technology yeah right. and I think it's a question that's really on the forefront of a lot of people's minds right now with AI tech being so yeah. prevalent right now and right. it seems like 2023 is going to be the year of AI technology and the right. art and and all kinds of questions about the ethics of source material for AI but right. then of course the where does the artist's hand or the artist's eye come into it if you can put right. a prompt into something and get a fully formed image are you acting as an artist at that point it's right. really really interesting questions and and I think when technology moves as quickly as it does, right. it you need to be sure to take the time to consciously answer them yeah. because otherwise they're going to blow by you. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, the you, you get that right. You know the uh, you know, mm-hmm. and we constantly you have to take the questions to the process of making work with AI, right? Or with any technology. And you're asking, what is the question, right? Mm-hmm. I remember I have a conversation with Hamilton and she always asks, she says, she always asks his, his, her student, any work you make, you know, and what kind of question you ask, you're mm-hmm. asking. Mm-hmm. So you come up with questions and then you, 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 you try and find an answer, maybe never find an answer, but you work, but with that question in your mind. Yeah. So I always you know in my why work make my prints or interactive you know, digital media or even some kind of robotic sculpture, which I have not made many, but I you know was in part of collaborating with some engineer in China and made some work. Hmm. So the first question that always come up, come in my head is you know, uh, of course the ethic of technology. I'm thinking about the technology. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yes, you have AI, but lots of people don't have that access to that technology. Yeah, right? yeah. And don't think about the, how wonderful it is, but how how many people really have that access to that, right? But I think the creativity is another thing, you know. And you're questioning the uh, where the creativity exists, when the one you know in the space between technology and your personal mm-hmm. you know, hand making, right? So, so the those kind of questions are asked all, all time, and so I like to take the you know, technology as as kind of a, I like to work with technology, and to come up with some conceptual questions. So in sense, I want to see the if any way I work with the technology, if conceptually make sense, then I work with that. So. But not necessarily just use it as a tool. Even if I use a tool very quickly, make something. Mm-hmm. But um, I, li- I like to, to ask you know, the conceptually and what's the role that technology play in the whole process and, uh, of making. Right? Yeah. So now when we work with any kind of technology, uh, often we, we use a term we're all familiar with, the cybernetic, right? Then the, uh, I remember the old little story that John Cage actually you know, gave the book the, you know, some written by, well, I think, Win- Winner or Winner, right? the, the, about the cybernetic. Right? And she gave that book to, you know, he, he used to have that book and give that book to somebody else. You know? So in a sense, that's become a metaphor. He didn't have to use the, the AI, right? Or artificial intelligence, but he has eye on that, uh-huh. right? I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I love what you're saying too about that. Like quoting Anne Hamilton, that that art is asking an important question, right. whether or not the answer is there. Right. And it really feels like that's where we are with AI right now. Yeah, is exactly. the answer exactly. is not there, exactly. but it's very important questions that. Yeah we can ask through art making, but I think it's going to 
as time goes on, becomes so much more pertinent for every element of our life. You know, self-driving yeah. cars and surgeries done by robots oh and <laughs> all of this kind of stuff, right? So yeah. as artists, we're on the precipice of asking those questions, I think, and making sure that they're out there in the world. Yeah. 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 And so you, you mentioned that you've got mentees, you've got people who you're mentoring in China as well. Yeah. Do you feel like you're kind of split between the two places at all? Or is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I do feel that way. I do feel like it's in a split in between. And to most part, for the for good reason, but also quite rewarding. You know, yeah. To most part, very re- rewarding. So the, I guess, you know, of course, you know, culturally differently and where I can see myself to be in differently. Mm-hmm. And also, I have a different mindset, right? Of course. When I be here, teaching here, and I offer to my body of a student here, I switch my mindset, you know, to, to work with them and to, to give what they need. Also trying to encourage, inspire them. And especially trying to take them out of their own mind, right? Our own geological cultural space, which is uh, America or Alfred. I think their brain just so, they can do so much with their brain. They can, they can be here, but also they can think about you know, other country. Mm. I wanted them to think about the war, but I usually don't have, trying to not bring that into a, a conversation, if anything, a little controversial. Mm. And, uh, but I do want them bring them to look outside of this culture. Yeah. But then in the, when you're working in China with the students in China, so I do the similar thing, but in a, in a kind of different way. But in a sense, I've, I can see myself to, to bring things I learned there to this environment, cultural environment, to my student here, but also bring things I learned here which is so valuable to there, mm-hmm. to, to them, right? So in that process, not delivering, right? Like a missionary, yeah. I <laughs> become much stronger. Uh-huh. I, I mean, they feel much more the fulfilled. But also I, I, I try to think or believe I can, the, can change their life in some way, yeah. in a small way. Because I remember you asked me what now how I come to this country. Early inspiration was one permaker from America hmm. went to China to give a demo in permaking at one of our school. She was on the Fulbright, I believe. So her little demo, mm-hmm. the way she worked and even a piece of a BFK paper, yeah, and it inspired me to come to this country. I said, "No, what if I did? No, if that wasn't that moment, yeah, inspiration, I would probably never think about coming to a country. This country could probably never be able to contribute to students from on, in, on both sides." It's the way I'm doing now, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have to always tell myself, everything I'm doing now, I have to give credit to her. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, I, I definitely have moments like that myself where it's just one person or one circumstance or that it changes the whole course of your life. Yeah, it's yeah, really exactly. remarkable to, exactly. to kind of look back and think about that. Exactly. I mean, I, I think for me, I could even talk about Alfred in that way because I, I met my husband here in the, oh, in the yeah. print studio on the third floor right <laughs> below us. So it's sort right. of that, that circumstances of, a, yeah, like me, meeting Joe at a conference, getting invited here, right. having him work here. I mean, all those right. like funny things that, that form a life that you don't you don't know is going to be the moment that steers your ship a totally different direction. It's right. a funny thing for sure. Right. I yeah. Think, yeah that, I think that moment is so important. Yeah. So sometimes we don't need a big 
no ideology, right? Mm -hmm. Just a little action, no, yeah. little involvement, totally you know, in, in interactions, and little no, the generous no kind of a giving. Totally can make a huge difference. I'd right. love to talk a little bit about the way in which technology is showing up in your art currently. Right. You brought some great prints in for me to see that we looked at before we sat down and. So, for instance, this like under the right. sea or uh, deep ocean series that I saw, which looked like these beautiful etchings. Yeah, mm -hmm. can you speak to those? Yeah, on the um, technology in general, no, they can have a. We can define, give it the, you know, We can think about technology as kind of a technique, right? And also can think can think about technology as a technological thinking. Mm. Uh, thinking in te in technology perspective or term. So if coming down to three D printing or AI or other kind of a way generate information like data, then to work with that data, those are not to a certain degrees kind of a technique or always kind of a tool help me to make imagery, which I think makes sense, which I think I cannot do without the support without technology. But on the other side is uh, now thinking now in terms of technology or making art in the era you know, in in the age of technology or in the age of AI, you know, in the age of uh, the deep learning or data. So that's a different kind of concept. Mm. So the um, idea of my recent work it come out of thinking in making, you know, asking questions what we artists can make, what art can be in the age of AI, in the age of you know, the deep learning or big data or social media also. That's content you now. But the, the, the way I make them then AI or 3D printing becomes a tool to help me make 3D printing or AI generate the image. So there's two, two parts. And I more enjoy the, the, the technological thinking, right? Mm -hmm. More enjoy ecological thinking. And recently I even know I've been thinking technological thinking is supposed to be a Bauhaus mm -hmm. school uh, mm -hmm. thinking. So that helped me to, to thinking totally differently and uh, to get into other kind of system which not, uh, I'm not familiar. No. Whether thinking, system of thinking or system of making. So that kind of system I'm not familiar with. I mean that, but that gave me a lot of great idea to make to come up with ideas to make my work. When I started using AI or 3D as a tool, the reason why I really enjoy not only some art, some outcome looks just right there. You no, know? that's something I really. Oh my God, that's it. Mm. But also, it's that using that kind of technology to take me to change my own other way of making, which I feel already comfortable. So to ex expand my imagination, yeah, or to go back to the John Cage, just to have something else to make it work. Mm -hmm. In his case, it's kind of random now. The, the randomness you know, and the chance operation, mm -hmm. right? So when I work with AI, AI to me is a chance operation. Just have, a, take, have a AI to take over. But then, of course, you always come back to make selection. It's not like everything AI makes. They make terrible work, right? And the chance operation, chance operation can make something very terrible too. But you know, ours always have something. At what point you you step in there in the entire process, whether beginning or the end or mm. during. Mm -hmm. So so those kind of beginning, during, the end is a place an artist see themselves to be in there, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so that yeah, that's how I think about 
the rule, the technology, you know, how they work in my work. Yeah, that's really interesting.、Mm-hmm. Well, we're kind of out of time, so、yeah. I have to ask you where can people find you and see your work? Where? Yeah, like, do you have a website or Instagram or. No, I don't. Yeah. yeah I know. I, I was trying to research you、yeah. before I came, and you don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have a website, I don't、uh-huh. have Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely.、Mm. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your afternoon to talk to me. I know you've got,、mm-hmm. you've got a class you have to get to. 6 30. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you again, and it's been, it's been great to chat. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, you know. Good questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Enrique Federero, a Venezuelan artist and assistant professor of practice at the University of Texas at Austin. We talk about his travels around the Southwest, visiting some of the earliest churches in what we now call the United States, and making rubbings from the inscriptions on the walls, as well as a potential family connection to that region. We also talk about having curiosity about the migration of people and seeking out the histories you weren't taught in school, as well as his current solo exhibition, up now at Foreman Concept Gallery in Santa Fe, as a part of Print Santa Fe. You won't want to miss it. 